For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. All right, this is Zeb Brannigan. You're listening to The Geek Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Scratch and Sniff, the mold in the corner of your room that just won't shift of science and technology podcasts. We are The Geek Show. I am Rob and with me today, as always, is the other Rob, but as usual themes, we're mixing it up a little bit. But yes. anyway, you say hello. Yes. Say hello, Rob. Yes. Normally I'd be Rob, but since there's two of us, this week, I am going to be Franz von Humperdinck. Okay, Franz von Humperdinck. Yes, formerly ace pilot in the Luftwaffe, now a goat farmer in the Himalayas. Well, Franz has fallen upon hard times. No, 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 no. I Basically, I liked my beer a bit too much and I lost a bet and decided to take up goat farming to run away from the debt. Ah, uh, okay. Hard times then. Anywho, we are the Geek Show. We do tech and news and society and just sort of our little weird corners of the world, really, geek yeah. and technology. But um, our lead story, there's only, the, really, there's only one story that's uh, in kind of the technology news right now. And it's Google's big, big, big entry into uh, video games. Um, now, last year they did this thing called Project Stream which they were testing streaming. And it got everyone thinking, is Google going to enter the video games uh, marketplace in a big way? And lo and behold, not too long after, we're just into, what, uh, we're just coming to the end of March now, and Google have announced their new system called Stadia. Now, Stadia isn't a system as we know it. It is a streaming platform, but what Google have done, they've used their infrastructure, you know, their search engine infrastructure, yeah, which has cables, you know, uh, you know, high high capacity cables going all over the world. Yeah, they've used mm-hmm. that as the base, uh, uh, as the foundation, as the one of the base elements for their streaming service. Now, no other company, as far as I know, aside from maybe Facebook, no other company in the world has the ability to do streaming like Google does. Well, they are the biggest technology company on the planet. Yeah. And because they've got these cables going left, right, and center all over the planet, right, they can uh, they have very low latency when it comes to streaming. The other advantage that they've got, though, is that they... I mean, they were demonstrating this in their, uh, in their presentation at GDC, uh, the Games Developers Conference, and it was a very impressive uh, display that they put on, especially when the guy was playing Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey, but he was playing it across multiple devices. You say that, but that's a uh, pre-prepared scenario, isn't it? It is a pre-prepared scenario, yes. You're right about that. But it shows what they're aiming at. It shows their ambition. Now, yeah, I mean, I I poked a hole in the presentation, but at the same time, it is sort of an evolution of industry. Because it was just dawned on me as you were talking about that. Video game consoles are very old-fashioned. Because what was it like the eighth or ninth generation that we're coming up to now, and fundamentally, it, like the format might have changed. There might have been cassette 
um, VH, not VHS, imagine. <laughs> Said uh, disc cartridge download whatever. Yeah. Point is, you still always had like a box under your TV. Yeah. Um, this that... isn't that. No, this it's is not. Like, whatever you call it, a console anymore. I don't know, but this is a kick up the backside of a industry which has just kind of felt the same. But let's just make it a bit more powerful this time, yeah. Well, like twenty years. Here's the thing. So I mean, they've tried. They've tried streaming games before with, uh, what was it, uh, OnLive and Gaikai. They've got and... like PlayStation Now yeah. and uh, I think Xbox has their own iteration. Yeah, whatever that's called. We can ask Mick later. Um, but the difference I've seen with what Google are doing and with everything that's come before is in the scope of their vision. They're not looking at games individually. They're not looking at being just another platform. They want to basically be the Netflix of video games. We did. We are going to talk about this on an upcoming press deck, so I feel like we should maybe put that one up next. Yeah, um, but that's <laughs> that's the thing. Um, it, it's it's a fascinating idea, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the question. There's many more questions and answers here. I mean, I don't think they're going to develop video games because no. Well, they could, but well, yeah. I don't think they will. Is this going to be a to borrow like um Xbox One X's or whatever version it was as a tagline console beyond generations is it just going to be everything or or what games is it going to be from is it going to be PC games is it going to be PlayStation games is it going well, to be Xbox games where they're coming from well this is the thing I think the games are going to be developed specifically for, you know how they develop some developers develop games for Xbox only or for PlayStation only or for PC only. Right. I think with this, it's a completely separate thing. I think this is one of those platforms where they can develop it for uh, Google, the Google platform, the Stadia platform, right? But they don't need to develop it for every consumer. They just need to develop it for Google. And then Google can work with them to work out all the bugs. One of the interesting things that I found with the Google Stadia thing, right, and I absolutely love this, Local co-op is going to make a big comeback with this. Well, I hope so. But but just going back a little bit um, to previous point, I do hope that Google will practice more strict quality guideline control issue um, things. I think they're going to have to. The, the Google Play Store for games, yeah, so much crap. This isn't and other be... platforms like that. Steam, this so is... much crap. Yeah, this isn't going to be like those. The Google Stadia is a completely separate thing, as far as I understand it. It's not going to be like Steam. Um, on, on Steam, it, it, Steam's weird because it's both incredibly mainstream and kind of outsidery. Yeah, but the thing is... Um, so I think I can get away with that, but Google are way too big to half yeah, but the that, platform. That's what I'm saying. I don't think Google are going to go down the Steam route. This is a completely separate thing. I think that what, you, what you're thinking of, everything that you're thinking of, everything that you think of, how video games are made, how, how they're distributed, things like that, I think that's all gone out the window now. I think that Sony and uh, Microsoft, uh, Nintendo, I think uh, all of the PC developers, they basically have to take a step back and wait and see what Google are bringing to the table and say, okay, right, we're on board. Some developers have already got access and they're already on board. 
Ubisoft. The thing here is, I mean, you're talking about it in very positive terms. I don't think this is an entirely positive endeavor. You got, I mean, there's ways that this could catastrophically blow up in Google's face because, as history dictates, they're not the most modest of companies and they're to kind of try to be too big too early. Yeah, but that's that's my point. Disasters happen. Yeah, I know. Disasters happen. But that's my point. The reason why I'm positive about this is because what I see from the other companies is stagnation. Okay. Yeah, that's and true. that's the that's the point I'm making. This is a big rock dropping into a very small pond. I'm very um, curious, but I'm also a very spe- uh, spectacle. I was going to say uh, that. <laughs> no. you're, you're very skept- you're very skeptical, and that's understandable because the last few attempts at streaming have not gone well, right? And the reason why they didn't go well was because the foundation wasn't there. They suffered from latency issues. They suffered from well, lag was, issues. They suffered from small also, companies. Small, small companies, companies that kind of. were eventually consumed by bigger companies. Um, Sony bought on Live and Gaikai, after all, right? Yeah. My point is with Google, um, this is a, this is something that you know it could be a Titanic moment. It could be something that's too big to fail, you know, and so ultimately it has to fail, or well, it mean, could I, be. I, oh, go on, sorry. Yeah, or it could be. Something that is that will basically reshape what we think of video games. Me personally, I'm hoping for the latter outcome. Okay, yeah, they've got a controller stuff like that, but that's what people are used to, right? Yeah, I mean, my 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 issue is I want this to succeed because, frankly, after so many generations of basically the same thing, kind of, honestly, I'm a burnt out with games. I just want something to. Well, that's my point. Shake, shake up the system a bit and do something which is genuinely fresh. Now, whether this is just whether it's fresh, that, or whether it's just the same thing but with a different coat of paint. Yeah, but that's my point. Seen right now, but that's my point. The games I don't think will change, right? So, no, no. Um, so I mean, they used Assassin's Creed Odyssey as one of the demonstrations. They had something that was specially developed for them. I think it was uh, in the uh, in the Night Forest or something like that. Um and they were using that to demonstrate the co- the local co-op, the split screen and everything like that from two in the different night garden, eh? not the not in the night garden, thankfully. But it was uh it was showing <laughs> thing is it was showing two different characters with two different completely different perspectives, but they were running very they were running with almost no lag, and this is running off Google's own servers. And Google have very, very, very powerful servers. We all know this. And so a lot of they have a lot of cards, you know, in their hand that they can play with regards to this. And so what it ultimately comes down to, from my perspective, is whether the developers on board and what Google is saying publicly at the moment. I don't know what they're thinking in private, but what they're saying publicly is that they want the developers to be creative, to basically to no longer be hamstrung by the limitations of whatever console technology or whatever PC technology that is, that they have in front of them. They want them to be able to say, right, we want to do this, and then be a, give them like the area so they can try and achieve what they, th- what they actually imagine. And I mean, that, pipe, I think, is pipe, one of the biggest, cha- biggest things. Pipe dreams and aspirations and hopes for this thing on one side. It remains to be seen what it actually is. I mean, how is it going to actually be delivered? No, how much is it going to be? The price, I don't know, but what it is, they've already showcased. That's what I'm saying. What it's it a actually, yeah, but no, that, what? no, no, that's what I'm saying. They've already showcased it. It was at the GDC. They showcased the whole thing. It is okay. a streaming service that is streaming across multiple devices across multiple platforms. It is one thing that you can use anywhere, anytime, 
wherever you are, as long as you well, have a decent the actual device, though? The actual There thing, is no it? device. There is no device. That's the point. You can use it on your Android phone, on your Android tablet, on your PC, on your TV, whatever, okay? There is no device. The controller is just a little thing with a USB plug that you plug in to a USB port and you can play the games using the controller. You can share it straight to YouTube if you want. You've got Google Assistant on your controller as well. As long as your internet connection is, say, around 25 kilobits a second. I think that, that's been the thing at the moment. That's the only limitation that I've seen. But that's the, that's the reality of it. And that's why I said it's a massive game changer. When I say there's no device, there is no device. That's a very hard sell, though, let's be honest. It is a very hard sell, which is why I understand why a lot of people are sceptical. I'm hopeful. The status, status quo is the status quo for a reason because people have certain expectations what yeah. these things should be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, like you were, you, you were thinking they've just showcased a controller. They haven't shown look, the device. Look at the Nintendo Switch, um, Wii U. Oh, the Wii U, yeah. People didn't know it was a new thing. People get confused. Yeah, when... but that's one of the reasons why, uh, why you know, why I think it's important for people to actually look at it and say, okay, this is something that's very, very different to everything we've known about video games so far, including the other streaming services. Yes, okay, I know I'm being very, very positive about it, but there are a lot of things to be positive about. Yeah, I'm just keeping my feet on the ground. I know, I know. I'm away with the fairies here. I'm positive about it. I'm hopeful for it. But I'm keeping my feet on the ground because, you know, big big companies kind of overextend themselves sometimes. Like I said, it could be a Titanic moment, one of those too big to fail things, but uh, and though and that, you know, thus it must ultimately fail. I mean, of all the giant Titanic companies that could possibly do it, I think Google are the one to do it. If Amazon tried it, I think it wouldn't really work because they are the sort of company which try to overextend themselves a little bit too much. Yeah. There's a degree of arrogance to Amazon, I feel. Yeah. I mean, uh, basically, Stadia will work on any device that supports Chrome, the Chromecast protocol. So that means iOS, Android, Chrome OS, Mac OS, Windows, and even the Chromecast dongle. I mean, getting a Chromecast dongle. Yeah. Any TV that, ru- that supports Chromecast will also run Google Stadia as well. Okay. And Google have... You know, they all speak to one of Google's 7,500 data center nodes, which are all over the world. But again, with streaming, it's all dependent on internet technology, isn't it, as well? Which is out of Google's hands, but we'll, we'll see. that's why they said, that's why I think, the, that's why they've said, uh, I think after the conference, they said, uh, look, the minimum the minimum speed you want is around 25 kilobits a second. Is that fast? Um, I'd Not say, really. If, I'd say if you've got a broadband connection, then you should be okay. Yeah. That doesn't sound very fast. I mean, I know you're talking about sort of minute degrees, but well, twenty-five kilobits a second. Uh, if you think it's about nothing it, really. Uh, if you think about it, um, at my worst, I was only getting three megabits a second. Yeah, yeah. So that should manage it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. We'll talk more about Google Stadia when we get more details. More con- more confirmation is needed. We need we need to know what developers are going to be looking at. What how they're developing things. Um, who's actually on board aside from Ubisoft? Oh, Ubisoft are the only ones involved. Oh, no thanks. Forget no, it. No, they're, they're the only ones who are on board at the moment. Oh, if it's the only that they're the only ones on board, I don't care. I'm sorry. <laughs> in history, if it, the only people who sort of say, yeah, that's Tyre were anchor to that name, then uh, no. 
Yeah, I think they're more tying their name to Google rather than tying their name to the Stadia platform. Well, maybe. It's a terrible name, can I just say that? Stadia is a name for a platform. It's terrible. It's a terrible name. Well, it's the plural of stadium, isn't it? Yes, I know, but it's still a terrible name. Yeah. Moving on to uh, some interesting uh, some interesting poll numbers, right? Um, 2,500 uh, Europeans were polled by uh, Spain's slightly 1984-sounding Centre for, Gov- for the Governance of Change. <laughs> yes. Right. And uh, of these 2,500 Europeans who were uh, asked these questions, 31% of them, just over, uh, you know, just over 30% of them, said that uh, they would rather vote for an artificial intelligence than a politician. Yeah, I can say that. Right? <laughs> uh, the thing is, it, it <laughs> you does... Say, uh, you see, my, my immediate re- reaction there is very telling, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, the figures, the numbers are actually more interesting when you break them down country by country. Uh, for example, uh, over in the Netherlands... They're even more on board with the idea of handing power to our robot overlords. <laughs> to be honest, they can't do a worse job of it than politicians. Exactly. I think that's it's very telling, you know. I mean, the technology probably is there to sustain it. I mean, the technology is probably more balanced and fair and reasonable because it ma- it measures everything sort of pure and pure data and statistics. Yeah. So it's I don't want to say less corruptible, but yes. Um. And it just goes to show, you know, that people genuinely, this is the age that we live in now when, you know, Brexit's a thing, Donald Trump's a thing, the far right is becoming much more prominent. People are just tired of politicians. So tired of politicians that they basically say, if Skynet came in and gave us, like, an AI president, would you have him? Yeah, yeah, go on. What's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is, uh, the worst that could happen is there's a, there's a robot uprising, we all die. But, help. You know, we're living under the threat of uh, the U.S. president launching all the nukes. So, you know, I, I, I don't see how one is worse than the other. They're about yeah, even right now. Indistinguishable. The other thing, though, the big the big advantage of having an artificial intelligence in charge, though, is they work off big data, right? So they work on pure on a pure numbers basis. So you're so that any decision they make. Say roads need sorting out, they would basically sort the roads out. They wouldn't be working, waiting for a kickback or some kind of favour before they got stuff sorted out. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, it does actually. It does actually make more sense. Um, do you remember uh, there was a it need failsafes? Fail yeah, it would need failsafes. Um, the interesting thing is uh, Massimo Nishiro did uh, a story called Appleseed. Uh, a manga called Appleseed, which has had various adaptations, and I think it's one of the ones that, because of uh, Alita, because of Battle Angel Alita, I think Appleseed's probably one of the ones that they'll be looking at seriously to do a Hollywood adaptation. But that actually had the first anime adaptation of uh, Appleseed had a city that was governed by an AI, and the governance of the AI, the whole city was designed to be a paradise for humans. Mm. I mean, the only thing you've got to be aware of is sentience. Yeah, AI and sentience is... Uh, it's when it becomes sentient, that's when you start running into problems. Yeah, because that's what happened in Terminator, wasn't it? Well, yeah, kind of. But uh, here's the interesting thing, right? Um, because we've got a bit of an AI theme going on here, right at the beginning. Um, mm. A Japanese tech startup have claimed that they have developed an artificial intelligence 
software that can analyse surveillance camera footage in order to detect suspicious behaviour and prevent shoplifting before it actually happens. <laughs> That's profiling. Yeah, so <laughs> it's called VARK I, spelled V A K and then the word I, uh, but it's all kind of combined into one word. And it first made the news back in December 2018 when it picked up on uh, pre- uh, previously undetected shoplifting activity at a convenience store in Yokohama. And the suspect yeah. was an 80-year-old man <laughs> who was apprehended a few days later after stealing a hat. Yeah, I mean, a broken clock is wrong is right two times a day. Yeah, exactly. Um, see, this is the thing... Um, this is basically... I mean, isn't this like Minority Report's pre-crimes thing? Yeah, but I don't think it involves, like, two like teenagers in swimwear rolling around in a paddling pool. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not, anyway. <laughs> but do you know the, biz- the bizarre thing? <laughs> the bizarre thing is that uh, if you arrest somebody before they've committed a crime, you've got no evidence that they were about to commit a crime. And, and it's when entrapment. You, yeah, but the thing is, if you stand in front of the judge and you say to them, well, we arrested the bloke that looked like they were going to do it, it doesn't sound as convincing as we arrested the bloke that done it. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what constitutes suspicious behaviour? What if you are nowhere near a toilet and you've got, and you desperately need a toilet and you start squirming near a shop looking at something and the camera only sees you squirming and it thinks you're suspicious, but what you're actually looking at is a toilet? And it sends police to arrest you for needing a toilet. Yeah, this is true. This I mean, there's no such thing as suspicious behaviour. What, what is suspicious behaviour? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was on the bus before, and there was a guy at the front of the bus who was squirming um, and looking all over the place. Made me super nervous, because he was behaving suspicious. Turns out we were just waiting for a phone call. <laughs> you weren't profiling much. No, I never said anything. But, yeah... When people behave in a way that looks very suspicious, because suspicions are raised by people acting abnormally. That's what suspicious behaviour is, abnormal behaviour. Yeah. So, you know, you can't profile that because people behave differently the whole world over. Yep, that they do. Right, now, Rob, what do you think I'm showing you here? Right, what he's sent me is a series of eight images of a... It looks like a scooter, a bike on one side, and a fire engine on the other. And underneath each bit, it says motor scooter, not point nine nine, parachute one point zero, bobsled one point zero, parachute not point five four, and then something on the bottom for the fire truck. I don't know what it is because right. it's gibberish. Yeah, it's gibberish. It, it's it? gibberish. Right now, this gibberish is actually part of a uh, part of an experiment. It was a paper written by uh, an assistant professor of computer science at Auburn University called uh, Anne Anguian, and the paper was titled Strike a Pause, Neural Networks Are Easily Fooled by Strange Pauses of Familiar Objects. Okay. The whole point being, it's very, very easy to make an AI think a taxi is a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Why would you want to, though? (laughs) Basically... Because of the angle that the AI is looking at through its camera, it's very easy for an AI to think something is something else, which comes back to our previous two stories. <laughs> you know when you said a broken clock is right twice? You might have been more right than you actually realised. So, right, in, in photo one, just with that new information, I think a motor scooter yeah. 
in one picture it's a parachute, one picture it's a bobsled, <laughs> and the other one it's a parachute again. Yes. And a fire truck in the bottom one, in one picture it's a school bus, one it's a fireboat. I can kind of see the fireboat one. Yeah. Because it's upside down there. And the bobsled again. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have way too much time on their hands to try and t- trick AI. But I mean, wouldn't you want to try and trick the AI? But the thing is, isn't, isn't that just making it smarter? Well, no, because it's proving a point. It's proven that AI isn't infallible. There are ways... No, but if it isn't, isn't it making it smarter by pointing out its shortcomings? It learns from its shortcomings. Well, if it's got uh, if it's got learning capabilities, then yeah, it would learn from its shortcomings. But, you know, um, AI can be pretty dumb sometimes as well. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if you've got an accent and you're speaking to an AI, do you think it's going to understand you? Well... There is stuff like that. There's like uh, the AI in Apple products. Oh, yeah, Siri. Doesn't, doesn't really understand regional accents. Nope. I mean, as far as regional accents go, mine is relatively mild in the grand scheme of accents. Yep. Still doesn't really understand me. Yeah, I had a hell of a time with Siri. Fooling AI, it's a thing that happens. Yeah. So if they do put that shoplifting thing into shops all over the world, and then you get stopped and they think you're going to be shoplifting, just say, no, that's just the way the camera was filming me. It kind of makes, like, lawyer's job basically redundant, doesn't it? Yep. Which is a good thing. <laughs> yes. There's um, there's an interesting experiment that has been uh, going on, and the uh, research was published um, earlier this month. It's new experimental evidence, I should say, was published earlier this month, in the science journal uh, eNeuro, and it suggests that the human brain is capable of responding to the Earth's magnetic field at an unconscious level. It's a trait known as magnetoreception, which has nothing to do with the X-Men. Let me just make that clear. I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) I know how you think. Remember, I am Franz von Humperdinck, ace pilot and goat herder. Yeah. Um, But yeah, magnetoreception... It's found in both invertebrates and vertebrates, and it's something that we've known about for a long time. I mean, we know homing pigeons use the uh, magnetic fields to basically navigate. We know that uh, a lot of uh, insects actually are uh, very uh, very skilled at using the Earth's magnetic field. Um, and so there are now they now know that some humans can actually kind of feel the Earth's magnetic field as well without having magnets inserted into them. What does that actually mean, though? Basically, it means... I know what it means, but what, 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 in layman's terms, let's just go cover it. Um, in layman's terms, it doesn't mean a lot. It just means that the human body is a lot more complicated than anybody actually realised, but we've known that for a long time. Yeah. This is one of those pieces of science where um, it's interesting to know, but the ultimate usefulness of it is... Debatable? It's next to none, really, isn't it? Yeah, and unless you want to be, like, Magneto, Master of Magnet, then, you know... Yeah, Master of Magnet, apparently, because he's a Master of Magnetism, he can fly and... Yeah, somehow he create has... For, create he, force fields. Yeah, he has a force field made of magnetism that can stop lasers. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> since, when were la- since when were laser beams magnetic? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, oh, also, apparently his magnet, uh, his magnetic shield can also stop wood and other non-magnetic things. 
Is it just that anybody write comic books on them? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I have a force field made of magnetism. It can stop your punch. It's a very... I mean, magnets... Uh, well, no, even like a normal person. You couldn't stop a normal person punching him in the face. Exactly. I'm... I mean, you could... Apparently, in the I think in the movies, they said, oh, there's iron in your blood. Yeah, yeah, not much. Exactly. The flight <laughs> thing, I can kind of understand. Okay, he just puts a couple of metal plates beneath his feet and he basically pulls them up with magnetism. Yeah? Yeah. That I can kind of understand, which is one of the reasons why he doesn't fly like Superman. He's always standing completely straight when he flies. So it's really easy to animate if you're making a movie. <laughs> exactly. You just put him on a green screen and drag him across the screen as you're editing it. <laughs> Yes, there is that. So if you're going to do like a fan movie and you want to do a fan superhero movie, do Magneto. Really easy to do the CG for. Yeah, I mean, your biggest problem is finding a purple helmet. Well, there's specialist shops, Rob. <laughs> Any... Cosplay shops. Hey, cosplay shops. Get your mind up the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Moving on. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. You remember Netflix did uh, that Black Mirror episode called Bandersnatch, which is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure type thing that they tried, yeah? Yeah, I know about it, but I've not watched a single episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Well, Netflix are going to be trying it again with more interactive content. Guess what they chose? <sighs> no. No, I don't guess. You have to tell me. Okay, okay. Um, They chose Bear Grylls, a choose-your-own-adventure involving Bear Grylls called You vs. Wild. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Because, like, the whole idea of Choose Your Own Adventure, it's made very literal. Yeah. It's Bear, Bear Grylls. But I thought, who cares? Did, Bandersnatch, I think, only did good business because it's Black Mirror, and Black Mirror is very, very popular for um, Netflix. I think that's all there is to it, really. Yeah, I, I really don't understand what the fascination is with Choose Your Own Adventure TV. I mean, if you go back far enough, they had tapes like that, like VHS tapes. Yeah, they did. I assume DVDs existed of the same type? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole choose your, own, choose your Own Adventure idea, uh, you know, the idea for it has been around for decades. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not new. I mean, I was never clamouring for anything that was Choose Your Own Adventure. And if I was, I'd just play a video game because that's Choose Your Own Adventure. Yes, my which is the point I was going to make. Instead of making TV shows that are choose your own adventure, why not just play a game? Yeah, I mean Netflix are doing some. Um, I think they're liberated a little bit too much, and I don't know what to do with it now that they've lost the Marvel licenses and the the licenses to print. Print just license to print <laughs> gives them because I don't know how they make money other than subscriptions or how they judge things to be successful. I don't know. There's lots of questions about Netflix. Hang on. Are you saying this is uh, Netflix basically being like the kids in the, the kids in the area that needs regeneration? They've got nothing to do, so they hang out, hang out around the shops and just talk. You know the <laughs> sketch of Key and Peele where Key, the Gremlins 2 sketch? Yeah. That guy turned up to a production meeting or at the Netflix offices and just says, there's no wrong answers. Let's just spitball. Let's just do these things. Let's see where we go. There's no bad answers. Say the first thing in your mind. And that's how you got Choose Your Own Adventure Black Mirror. Wow. 
Because there's some good stuff that Netflix are doing now with a free of the license of uh, yeah. Marvel. There was this that thing that's on now, which is co-produced by uh, David Fincher, the little animated thing. Yeah. Love robots and something. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name, but off the top of my head. But they're taking some risks, and I think risks is just by giving people opportunities that wouldn't get the opportunity otherwise. I think that is the market, the place that Netflix is at its best. Yeah, I agree. Like asking that weird guy from the the sketch in Key and Peele to just say, "There's no bad answers. Let's just we're spitballing. Let's see where we go. Let's see where we take this. Let's ride this wave." Inviting them into your production meetings is just making you look stupid. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Ah, uh, anyway, if you, want re- if you really want that release, that Bear Grylls studio on adventure thing, release the DVD. Yeah, it'd make more sense, and also there'd be less risk of death to Bear. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Leaving Netflix to one side, um, a Chinese university professor has sparked a very heated debate because uh, he gave his students a particular assignment. He tasked them with adding 1,667 friends on WeChat, which is China's biggest social network. Um, And he said, if you can get 1,667 friends, you get an A-plus for this assignment. Right now, this is what, basically what, what, what are the assignment? The assignment is make one thousand six hundred and sixty-seven friends on WeChat. What was the lesson then? Well, that's the thing. Um, the debate is basically about uh, the this whole assignment. See, he's basically said because this is part of the online and new media course at uh, Henan University of Economics and Law, and he's basically said if you add one thousand and one new friends, then you get a score of sixty out of a hundred. Uh, the more friends they add above that threshold, that would increase their score and their grade, resulting from this. Um, The interesting thing is that it's not actually an easy assignment to do, especially not in a country like China. You know, most of the students only have like 100 friends on WeChat, and it's not really the type of country where people just add each other willy-nilly. Yeah, it's quite a reserved and conservative country like that. Yeah, so it sparked this online thing because... A lot more people now are, are a lot more a lot more aware of the dangers of just adding people in general. People aren't really interested in ha- in how many people you've got as friends on Facebook or something like that. They're not that anymore, are they? To invoke a uh, old phrase from a PSA: "Stranger danger." Yeah, people are much more aware of online stranger danger. Yeah, and so. If somebody said, okay, add, you know, get yourself 10,000 friends on Facebook now, it would be much more difficult to do than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, because people just added to add. I met him once at a thing that I was at that he was also at, but we didn't say hi. We just exchanged a glance for like a millisecond at him. Yeah. Um, so the actual. Uh, the actual that was mecha- what it, that's what it was, it was like, though, but I think people just add. The social circle now, they keep yeah. the social circle and that's about it. Exactly. So the actual mechanics of achieving 1,667 friends on a social network like WeChat now are so much more difficult than they were before. Ah, you say that. But what if you just go porno bot hunting? What? Easy on Twitter. There's millions of them. What if, uh, what if you are the new AI superstar of the porn industry, porno bot? Yeah. I don't know if there's any porno bots on We. What was it called? WeChat. Yeah, I don't know whether WeChat is. 
Oh, no, Rob. No. Let's move on from this. My brain, my brain, my brain just draw things together. Let's move on. Uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of hit there before you did. Yeah, it pulled the strings together. And no, let's just move on from this. Yes, anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, a couple of great stories to uh, round things off. There is a fringe religious movement that was founded in the 1950s who believe that spiritual power is a tangible type of energy like electricity. They are called the Aetherius Society. And, cool name. Yeah. The Aetherius Society claims to have prevented several international crises by uh, by storing their religious power in spiritual power batteries for when the world needs them, which it did on several occasions, and so they released their concentrated spiritual energy. Is this what Noel Edmonds is a member of? <laughs> don't know. Um, basically, this is one of the earliest UFO-based religions. It was formed in 1954 by a former taxi driver called David King. You know, if your religious movement is founded by a taxi driver, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not as, you know, right on as you think it is. Yeah, the knowledge that the taxi driver has is not the knowledge that you want. Just to give you an idea of what they believe, the members of the Aetherius Society believe that uh, some of the most famous religious figures in human history come from different planets. Uh, the Hindu god Krishna, for example, comes from Saturn, and Saturn is apparently home to a cosmic hierarchy or interplanetary council. On the other hand... Where, 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 where was this based? On the, uh, America, where else? On the other hand, Jesus and Buddha are from Venus. The main goal of the Aetherius Society is to work with these cosmic masters to help humanity solve and prevent its problems. And so they store their energy in... Oh my God, they're in London as well. Um, they store their energy in these spiritual power batteries. You see the reason why this religion... would If it was in the taxi office where Danny DeVito worked, I think it would have been fine. It would never would have got off the ground. Exactly. What you want is like a, a boss to stamp out this nonsense. I can't even remember the name of the show I'm referencing there. Taxi. It, it, it was just called Taxi. Oh, well, that was easy. <laughs> but yeah, this is just odd. I don't think there's any other way to... I mean, this is sort of Scientology-level oddness. No, this is way, way, way beyond Scientology. Scientologists look at these guys and call them crazy. Yeah, Scientologists was created by a science fiction author, wasn't it? Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard, who in an interview... The year before, he came up with his book called Dianetics, which is the foundation of Scientology. The year before, he said, if I want to make a million dollars, I'll form my own religion. <laughs> he made more than a million. <laughs> well, no, he didn't actually. It was after he died. Yeah. Um, so, leaving L. Ron Hubbard and uh, cookie religions to one side. It's nice to have some sort of sense of feeling and belonging or something, but at the same time, it, it's past the realms of believability. Yeah. <sighs> So, um... And the one thing, you, taxi drivers are always very grounded. I don't know where these taxi drivers were from, but they, they, they're not grounded anywhere, shape or form. Yep. So, um... How to explain this last story? Well, you know when you have a kid, right? And the kid is very young, and the kid needs feeding, yeah? Usually it's from a bottle or something like that, Yeah. Yeah. Or if the uh, if there are no health issues, the woman breastfeeds. Yep. Well, now a Japanese company called Dentsu has decided that that's unfair 
and that fathers should also be allowed to breastfeed. They recently unveiled at South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Texas, the Father's Nursing Assistant, which is a somewhat bizarre gadget. It aims to allow fathers to help out with the stressful task usually reserved for mothers. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't look at that. <clears throat> <laughs> you saw the picture further down of the guy wearing it. <laughs> yeah. This one, it looks like a sort of prosthetic pair of breasts for a, man to wear, for a man to wear. It's kind of the thing that you'd expect rugby players to wear on a night out. Oh, like Paul Gascoigne to wear in his downward descent. Because this... <laughs> It just looks like I might miss them when you fill it with milk, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. If men were meant to breastfeed, we would work differently in that area. Yep. What sort of father, like you've got his new child, sees his wife or girlfriend or partner breastfeeding this kid, wish that was me. Who does that? That cannot be a common problem, can it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> See, I looked at this and I'm like, is this so much of an issue that you had to create something for it? No, it's not. I mean, the fact that I can't physically bring myself to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> because it is so ludicrous. <clears throat> because, pardon the phrasing, but they look like other tits. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the only way to express it, because, yeah... There's just no way to sort of grasp why you'd want to do that. It is bizarre. It's part of, it's part of motherhood breastfeeding. It's how the, the, the women form a connection with the baby rather than something in their stomach. Yeah. It's by that sort of connection. A, a father's connection with a child is different. You know, having a combination of like a strong father figure and a strong mother figure is what helps people become balanced people. Yep. Having your father breastfeeding you means you are going to be some messed up kid. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to be broken and useless to the world. Oh, God, can you imagine the conversation when you bring your mates around and they're making too much noise? Your dad walks in and says, I didn't breast you, breastfeed you. <laughs> this is how Ralph from The Simpsons happens. <laughs> that's what Chief Wiggum breastfed Ralph Wiggum, and that's how that happened. Do you want a Ralph Wiggum on your hands, Japan? Because you'll have many, I won't say how many, I'd say at least six. <laughs> if you have this thing sort of as popular. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, even, even if you, you, you're separated or your partner died or, or whatever, that's why you have bottles that you hold in your hand. Yeah, and that's the other thing. What's wrong with the bottle? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. I mean, the website you got it from is called Oddity Central, and I think that's the sort of best description of those people. Yes. Yes, it is. Oddities. Yes, it is. In other words. <laughs> anyway, um, that's your lot. <sighs> uh, as we said, we'll talk more about Google Stadia on PressX uh, at some other point when we have more information. But, uh, yeah, um, that's us for this week. If you want to support the show, you can, uh, if you listen to this for the first time, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from and give us a rating and a review while you are there because that helps and improve exposure. 
the podcast. Um, you can also head to thegeekshow.co.uk and on there you'll find links to our shop and links to our Patreon. We've got a new shop launching, uh, new stuff being added to it, work in progress as we speak. Or just add to Patreon, just to send a few pounds our way, just to say thanks for doing what you're doing and keep it up. And we'd appreciate whatever way you can contribute to the Geek Show's upkeep and future survival, whatever you can offer, really. Um, but yeah, that is the Geek Show for this week. We'll be back in a fortnight with more whatever this was. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have been Rob. And I have been Franz von Humperdinck, Ace Pilot and Gotter. We will see you next time. <sighs> Let's have another look at that. Oh, my word. I mean, there's a guy in the background of the first picture just looking at him thinking, Jesus, what is he doing? What is he wearing? For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.